You're listening to Off to Market with Scott Farley and Hamish Chadwick. I'm Scott, and today we have the amazing pleasure of interviewing Belinda V.C. Brown, who I've known for many, many years. I think we were just talking about it, uh, like about 1999, we both started working at Interlux. And Belinda and I struck it off straight away because uh, I've rocked into the car park and I was in my blue 124 BC Fiat. And there's a blue 124cc Fiat in the parking lot and I've gone, well, I need to find out who owns that car because it's very much like mine. Not quite as nice, but... <laughs> but no, we, we, got on, we got on really well straight away. Belinda was uh, running the graphic design section at Intralux and Intralux was an interesting company, a challenging boss to work for, but a very, very courageous guy uh, who developed everything in Australia, a lighting, high-end lighting product and sold it all around the world. So exactly what we try and achieve these days with our entrepreneurs and you know show great courage in trying to establish this brand in Australia that was a great export and, and totally Australian manufactured um, so we, we got um, quite a good bond going because we we're working very closely together in the same section I was doing the industrial design and 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 uh, obviously the, the marketing graphics was with Belinda and obviously we had the same same interest in the car so but then since then, Belinda has gone on to do so much more. It makes me embarrassed to see, see how many things she's done compared with myself. But, um, and, and I'm a fairly busy, busy sort of person too, so you can just imagine how many things that Belinda's done. Um, so this, this is going to be a three-part series because there's just so much in Belinda's uh, scope that we could cover off on that would help our mm. inventors and our startups. But we can't do them all. There's just too much there to do. So we're going to divide it into three. We're going to do... Um, Belinda's got a, a massive knowledge base about starting businesses. She's been doing it for years, and she's got she's you know she's got a hands-on experience. There's, there's nothing better than that. She's done it again and again, and then she also has some very niche ways of marketing through uh, a, a thing called neuromarketing and archetypes, which are really interesting to people as well, from the, the idea stage right through to the end marketing. So we're going to start off. This one's going to be experience building businesses. Um, so Belinda's going to go through some of the some of the things that have worked for her and things that haven't worked, I guess. Um, but as a quick overview, if you might look at look at Belinda's bio. It's, so Intralux, uh, way back in '99, uh, Kingsbury Design, and Alby Reels was in that mix there. So oh really? Yeah, yeah, we, we had did lots do of some Alby Reels, which okay. yeah. works for. <laughs> and had lot, and then your first company was Red Eye Design in 2002. Yeah. And that was a graphic design company with marketing. Uh, sway to it and you've also got a number of organizations entrepreneurs organization you're on the board of that and man up which is a great great charity organization mm, as well prostate cancer prostate cancer you're both on the board of those you've got Bryo group which is a um a brand and marketing company with graphic designs you've got pat tagged pdf which is all about making um documents uh public documents visible to everybody mm-hmm. Uh, including the blind um, and uh, people who may not be able to read as well as others. Um, you've got Top Lock, the premises we are today, which is a new company you've just bought, which is all about um, electronic locking systems and reportable locking systems um, and uh, smart locking systems and security. Then you've got Brandarian, uh, which is a branding and advertising, uh, which has really got an interesting five-step process there to, to get your brand out there and re, re, <laughs> I can't even read my writing. Remembrance. Remembrance. <laughs> as well. 
I mean, there's so many things. I know you're part of the Fiat Club. You do all these adventures. You've got a, a, a you're a single mum with a son. I mean, I I just cannot believe you're Entrepreneur of the Year, 2015-16. So we're very very lucky. There's a whole host of other awards here. <laughs> we're very lucky to have you here. And uh, look, I mean, we, I'm just going to start you off. And you know, you've started so many businesses. What's worked and what hasn't? If, if you're if you're a startup and you're going to come along here and just you want to start your own business. What do, you, what do you have to do to make it work and, and what shouldn't you, you should make sure you don't do? Um, thanks, Scott. I always love listening to you do an intro for me. I always feel Pumped so good about myself afterwards. <laughs> you should, um, you should. I, uh, you know, I do, I do like business, um, which is why a lot of those I have started from scratch and some I have bought into. But when you are starting them from scratch, I guess, um, the thing is that I see, you know, from me doing it many, many times and but also working with businesses who come to me to help me market them is that, um, having that proven concept or having the idea but actually then finding out what you can do to get something to market quite quickly is the key because you can spend a lot of time and a lot of money up front and you just waste it if it, if, it, if no one actually wants to buy it you you know you get so passionate about yeah, oh yeah, yeah I think my idea is amazing I think everyone's going <coughs> to buy it and you know we always go with these rose coloured lenses on I sort of call them we're looking through the world you know where everything's going to yeah, be great yeah, yeah. and it's not always the case and the thing with when you're starting a business you can actually have your house on the line you know i see a lot of people you know borrow against the house to you know inject in you know 100 grand to get to get going and um i think you can do something from a you know rapid prototype perspective where you can get out there and see if who wants to buy it and what and at what price point yeah so that's the the first step is that you know do you have that proven concept so we'll stage things so sometimes the business is this Mm. And we start back here, the most, we call it the lowest hanging fruit. Yes, the lowest so hanging fruit. So something you can get to market with the most if cost effectively, it's got the best chance of making a, like there's a sore point in the market, you'll find that point. You'll find out how to get to that point cost effectively, start making an income, income and grow into the others. Yes. So that's sort of Yeah, definitely. So yeah. definitely start with the low hanging fruit. And what do you know about those audiences? So I like to think about those audiences and their behaviours. You know, it's so easy to say, oh, well, they're, they're women aged 20 to 30, you know, who live in this and have this type of education and, you know, have this many children. But, you know, sure, once you've done that, but then I, I challenge you to always go deeper. So what are their behaviours? You know, what are their values? You know, what, what are their needs that whatever it is your product or your service is fulfilling on for them? Yeah. Yeah, and if it if it is at all, and then how do you communicate that story? Because that's really your next phase. Is that then that brand positioning, which I know you know um, Hamish is all about. You know the stories that you're telling to attract those right people that come ready to buy. So then once you've mopped up all of your low hanging fruit, then if you get your brand right, then more people will you can be seen and heard by those who literally come ready to buy and it yeah. really is it's there's a scientific process behind it yeah and you you know you just you manufacture that in your marketing yeah and so you, you do focus groups or how do you find this information it's obviously fairly deep information yeah is it, is it simply observation or is it is it getting people in speaking to them the thing about and, and i um it out of them. the thing yeah that's right <laughs> well the thing the thing is that when you ask people why they bought something they what they tell you is not really the real reason mm. I've found. So people will spend a lot of money on focus groups and they'll ask questions, you know, hey, Scott, I like your watch. You know, I see it's a Rolex. And why did you buy that Rolex watch? <laughs> and then and then you <laughs> might say something like, well, well, Belinda, I've always wanted a Rolex watch and uh, I like this feature, I like this benefit, yeah. right? And then I'm thinking, oh, well, that's the reason he likes these features and benefits. 
Whereas what we know about human behaviour is that you bought that watch to fulfil on a need. And the need was possibly, because it's a Rolex, acknowledgement. Yeah. You know, you want somebody to go, oh, hey, Scott, love your watch. Yeah. You must be really successful, yeah. you know, is what they're really saying. And that's why you buy it. So when you do focus groups, you actually, you know, nobody is generally going to come out and tell you, oh, well, I like people to think that I'm amazing and I like them to acknowledge me. But really, that is where the buying decision was made. We simply then rationalise it. The and that, brands and that's are actually set up that is, way. Is aimed more at not the, tech, not the actual what this watch is. It's about the what what it'll give you as far as what your outcomes. Yeah, what's the need that it's fulfilling? You, on? Be, I guess for for our, for me for me as a product developer, I um I'll actually try and walk in the shoes of the consumer. So depending, it doesn't matter who it is. I really try and morph myself into their lifestyle and what and what they're trying to achieve at it. Is is this something you employ as well, or or do you have other methods of trying to get into the psyche of the because it's really important, like, you know, really who you're selling to is one of the most critical things when you're developing a product and when you're marketing to that that group. Yeah, well, one, and, you know, getting into the shoes of the customer is certainly a really good way of yep. thinking about it. But another another thing that we do is we call it brand peers and playmates. So you might be selling brand a Brand peers and playmates, yep, okay. Brand yep. peers and playmates. So you you're might be selling... as fast as I do. Oh, <laughs> sorry, sorry, I do, I have a... That's all right. You've got to have... Hey, machine normally translates for me. Oh, right. <laughs> a big baritone so, voice. <laughs> so, brand peers and playmates. So, okay. um, if your if your product or your service uh, sits in a certain area, if your brand was a person, and this is what we get people to try and think about, yeah. if your brand was a person, who would what would be the other brands that they associate with? And then what do we know about those brands? So, okay. for example, um, if you're, uh, you know, we've done we've done one of men's cologne. So if we're selling men's cologne, you know, of the type of person, um, if the if that was a person, and we actually even give them a name and stereotype them, and we even do pictures and behaviours on that brand, yeah, right. then um, we'd say, well, then what car would that with that brand drive? Mm. If that, you know, we've given him a name, George. So what car would George drive? Well, George would drive, you know, a Mercedes. And, you know, and then, um, you know, what drink would, would George have? And what sorts of people, what values does George have? And what does yeah. he do in his spare time? And we start to, we start to form a, you know, a bit of a, a personality type, if you like, that is the filter for um, what we run all of our marketing through when we're starting to talk about messaging, even where we position it, what stores we would sell it through, mm. and so on, because we, we understand it as a human. And that's mm. the fundamental thing about behavior is that we are all human mm. and we all relate to each other like we are now, right? And then so if I can make my product, which has been inanimate up until now, something I've crafted and make it you know give it a personality and make and humanize it then it makes it easy for someone to relate to it yeah, oh this yeah. feels right yeah i they get me yeah i will buy this yeah yeah and this is chemistry you've spoken it's about the chemistry yeah so you are actually talking about manu- we are you know <coughs> manufacturing that chemistry yeah, yeah sure no, that's great and um obviously you know there's there's technical parts of setting up a business you have to certainly um develop you know infrastructure and all the rest of teams and everything you've talked about so i know you've got a bit of a list there um i'm not sure you want to go into it is, is there anything i mean we really want to try and keep this a little bit succinct i mean people can always reference you and look up your you've got plenty of information on the um on the internet um they know your name now brio brio is probably the first reference is it yeah brio or brandonian or brandonian they can look up both those areas there's heaps and heaps it's, it's, as i said there's just so much there that we can't really, we can only scratch the surface in a, in a podcast. And I, and I welcome you. If you have an idea, I mean, I, I think in Australia we need to get more of our ideas out into a global market. So I'm yep. always happy if you buy me lunch or buy me breakfast to pick my brain. Yeah. 
Um, if I can help. But obviously, there's there's products come to me and clients come to me, and sometimes the idea is good, but the business structure's not working. Mm-hmm. I mean, we always try and make sure there's a pipeline out. If you're going in, I mean, first thing we do, the clients come to me are qualified through third parties to start with. And then they come to me and I qualify them again. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I interrogate the, the idea. I'm very critical. And I mean, we don't, we, we've talked about it a number of times. We don't want people starting businesses that are going to fail. Um, businesses fail, you can't help it. But we don't want to start with a bad egg and work on, you know, try and polish that turd. As yes. we call yeah, it. yeah. We oh, just, there's no point in it. So we're not into that at all. Um, so, you know, we, we set criteria to sort of make the, sure that the product is, is viable. Or if it's not, we, we make it viable. If we see a, a good market need, it's usually a first starting point, and it's not just a want; it's a need. It's yeah. a sore point. Mm. It's um, it's something that needs fixing. Yes, you know, and I it think that saves a... money in some way. You know, it's a better alternative to what's already happening. That's a key thing that you've just said. There is that you really want to market on the need, not not as much on the want. want the want, yeah. you know, if you can, if I mean, you can, but if you get <clears throat> if you get it back to the simple need, Maslow's hierarchy of needs. You know, how does it create more safety? You know, how does it you know give you protection or love or whatever what that need is yeah. that your product fulfills on then that's 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 fundamental yeah yeah um we also quite often try and pair people with the business so sometimes the mentors are really creative people but they've got no business business experience it's a little bit deadly to either we pair them with a with a business person or an investor mm-hmm. who's, a, who's a business oriented or we take the idea, we package it up as a licensing deal so they don't get involved yeah. in the business. Um, or we might manage the manufacturing and they can distribute, which is a much lesser level of business operation because you're basically just supplying a need, you know, fulfilling an order. Um, so um, what sort of levels do you get involved with? Would you Are you mainly interested in just starting up a full, a full company and scaling it up and on selling it all or running it to make a profit? Well, it depends on the the creator because if you've got because you're generally dealing with that creator who's come up with the idea, and you know we, you always know that the creator is then sometimes they get in their own way, exactly. and you need to yeah. and, and they need to have same. a yep. role, you know, and yep. need to understand their role because when you start the when you start a business, you you end up if it's if you literally are a, a startup, you're wearing all the hats. You're doing finance yep. one day, you're exactly. doing marketing the next day, you're creating something, you're prototyping, you know, you're wearing all these hats. The idea is that as you grow, as you've got your proven concepts, then you get more people on board and then you put in those specialties. And I always like to hire people that have more skills in those areas than I have. But I've at least sat in the seat and there's a bit of a system for yeah. quality. Yeah. Yeah. So then um, then you, you grow that operating team is really the, the third step in a, in, a, in a good business model. But it is about then who you bring in. One of the discussions we've been having lately is then you get a CEO or a general manager and run the business. And again, you want to employ up. You want to employ someone who's done that many, many times. They have all the skills that you just don't have. And this is about being self-aware too. You know, I'm really great at this, but I'm really bad at that. So I want to get this person who has those skills that, one, I'm definitely missing, and two, has the experience on the board where he's taken a concept like what we've created and then they, they then run the day-to-day. They run the team, you know, you, you find yourself, this is the worst thing about it, you know, for an entrepreneur or a creator or something, yeah. is that then they find themselves like dealing with people sick leave and, you know, mm. this person was away and then this happened. It's and not their core. The thing wasn't, and then you just get. They're better off in a role where they're developing jaded. the next product. Yeah, because you that's know? where the innovation yeah, yeah. happens. And in, that's in fact, really... if I looked at my, my, my business is just a, a wage generator for my third party stuff. But if I was to develop that product, that business up myself as a, 
as a proper concern, I would have a CEO. Yeah, that goes they out, run the day-to-day. Work and runs day-to-day, and I'd be developing the you new You continually audience. innovate. Yeah, yeah that's right, because without my, innovation... That's my flow is. Yeah, because yeah, so. that's why I'm watching Apple for that, because, you know, their main innovator has died. You know, Steve, yes. Steve Jobs has died and, died and mm. you know, who's innovating now? And he was very much, you know, they kicked him out of the business, you know, as the story goes. So he was, and that was his, what he was really good at, and they had everyone else connecting the dots around to getting the product thing to market. Yeah, yeah. So Top Lock, this is the company we're sitting in now. Um, that's a little bit outside your core competency. You're, you're obviously very knowledgeable about marketing, um, graphic design, brand awareness, and, and businesses, business development. Yeah. Um, Top Lock is a, is a, a, a electronics a security company, so providing all the, all, all the locks and security systems for the next stage of what was the key and, key and barrel sort of systems. Um, how have you found moving into an area which is a, a hardware type of pro, you know, company rather than a knowledge-based company, a service provider? Yeah, that's really interesting. And um, sometimes I, I really love that business the most because whatever I sell as a marketer, whatever I sell, they uh, can't call on me to go out and go and fit a lock anywhere because mm. I am not a locksmith, right? So I feel incredibly lucky from that perspective and coming in as knowing knowing you know how to run a business and then seeing seeing an industry and what I like about locksmithing is that it hasn't been disrupted well in like forever. Yeah. I mean, we still have keys that you know mechanical keys that we open you know our doors with. And in fact, our cars generally have more technology yep. than our houses and yep. our businesses. So. There is this um, incoming tide, and that's what I like about it. And we have the opportunity by by me actually owning a business instead of helping people market. I'm actually helping market a business that I actually have a share in, and that's what becomes that's that's exciting. And so by then disconnecting yourself, I'm actually putting myself in the shoes as if I am the CEO, yeah. if you, in a way, because I have some skills on how to run a business, and then I'm just purely looking for that opportunity, and that's what's exciting. Yeah, yeah. For a creative type of person. From a branding perspective, obviously, because it's disruptive, and this is where I have a lot of trouble, or not trouble, but this is the challenge for my industry where it's all disruptive. Pretty much any project I work on is disruptive. Mm. It's change, 100-year change. Oh, it's I first love that world it's, it's fantastically challenging. But from a marketing perspective, you've got an educational part of it. So people don't know about it. You've got to educate, which is actually quite an expensive process because you have to, you're taking zero knowledge and implanting it, whereas before you might... If you're if you're evolving, there's already the knowledge base to a point, and then you're just saying, "Hey, this is better than that." You can you can benchmark and compare. With innovative and disrupt, disruptive products, you know you're coming in and saying, um, "You've never needed this in your life before, but now you." It's a bit like Apple. Like you know, Apple came across. You know, you imagine that boardroom meeting. You know, uh, all the phones at the time had a small screen, buttons all over them, and you go along to the boardroom. And so we're going to develop a product with no buttons, yeah. <laughs> a massive screen. Yeah. You would have been kicked out. You know, yeah. It would have been seen as, as ridiculous. Um, but almost every project I work on, and obviously this industry you're in now, you're sort of almost, you know, you're, you're, you're benchmarking new stuff. So there's a lot of education and cost. How, what's the most effective way to get the best bang for buck to educate a market before you start selling to them? Well, this is where if you are disruptive, so you marketing can be disruptive, and I know we're going to talk about that later. But you know, taking an archetypal approach. So I work with quite a lot of brands that want to be disruptive. Yep. You know, if they be service, so in the safety industry, or if they've got a product which they want to be disruptive, then something like an archetype, like the a rebel, rebel archetype, yeah, yeah, where yeah. you become a challenger brand, and that's but certainly what Apple did. I mean, you know, computers shouldn't be boring beige boxes. Dyson the same. 
Yeah, and well, Dyson's actually a creator brand, whereas he created a whole new way. Yeah. And then, and then it's the way you sell it. So people don't buy what you do; they buy why you do it. Uh-huh. Right. So this is a whole different way of drying your hands. If you take Dyson, yep. it's a whole yep. different way of consuming music. If you think of Apple or the way that you your computer should look or behave. And so that was very, they were very disruptive at the time and all of their marketing and all of their messaging, we talked about low-hanging fruit before. So if you know who those people are and then you are disruptive in their space, you can be really targeted in your ads, but you get their attention mm. by, by fulfilling on a need that they didn't even know was possible. Mm, mm. Cool. And that's, that's, that's the fun of marketing, right? Yeah. Yeah, no, it's, it's, very, it's, it's very difficult. I mean, um, what sort of campaigns... Like, how do you go to that? Because it's basically everybody you're aiming at, aren't you? Like, everyone's your your market. Well, Anyone who yeah. owns a house. Well, well <laughs> you know, oh, yeah, for, you, for, you know, for, for the lock, you know, you've really got to, you've got to saturate. And, and how do you manage to get your message to so many people effectively, cost-effectively? Well, um, that, again, I mean, we, we, take, we, take we niche. Yeah. yeah, so then we, we niche. So we, we say, well... We know that um, we can have a lot of cut through with, you know, if the buyer is, uh, say, a, a, a family man or, or, you know, and they have a certain type of house in a certain type of area, then they might, they're the early adopters of technology as it is. Mm. And then they want to have those smarts where, you know, they can pre-program when, you know, someone comes in or uh, with, um, the knowing when people are coming home. Or from a business perspective, it could be about capturing, you know, who's coming in for if you're a, um, a facilities manager, yep. who's coming in and who's not. Who's and, on time. Yeah, or even controlling the access to, like, the pool area, which might be rooftop, and yep. it can only has the capacity for 150 people yes. on that level. Yep. So the system's actually controlling, well, only, you know, only 100, lets 150 people in, and then it locks until someone comes out. Mm-hmm. So you're actually, you know, controlling safety. So mm. they have an actual need that you are then just simply just telling the story yeah. to. Yeah. And sometimes I think, um, especially if it's if it's if it is B two B. So if you've developed a product and you want to get That's it into business to business, yeah. yeah, so business to business Sorry, yeah. as opposed to business to consumer. So if you're going directly to say a distributor, then um, you would then go in and actually target who you want to distribute your product, and then you would literally go in with a pitch. So instead of doing, you know, even, you know, everyone thinks about, oh, I have to get an ad or I have to do this. You could actually just get a meeting and go in with a pitch. And yep. again, there's a whole science behind how you structure a pitch yep. to get people's attention. Yep. Mm-hmm. And then you leave them with a buying decision at the end. Yep. You know, no more than 20 minutes is yep. my rule of thumb for pitches. But, okay. you know, again, that's a whole other Yeah. <laughs> I know he's talking about. Well, yeah, we always try and in the business meeting, we, in the business discussions, we talk about um, how, to, how to first go forward. So, um, for an example, we did a rotating rod holder reach recently. It's first of all, you know, rod holders and boats, fishing rods, a lot of my position. Mm-hmm. That's when you push a button and turn it around. Our business plan was to go top end, so go to high end manufacturers of boats, aim at CEO. Yes. Um, so the CEO level of OEM, so original equipment manufacturers yes. of high end boats. And we offer that to them and they go, wow, we've got this thing that no one else has got. They advertise it. So it's top-down marketing. Yes. So the marketing they was able to educate and, cre- and get credibility from the top down. And then we had fallbacks if that didn't work. And, and fallbacks are very important because not every time – marketing is about having a shot at something and if it doesn't work, you've got another – have to have a second, yeah, second plan. So going. we have two or three t- tiers right down to selling the thing on Amazon, you know what I mean? So Yeah, that's right. Um, and because he was manufacturing it, all those options were open to us. If he wasn't manufacturing, then we'd be stuck with licensing options. But, you know, 
but that that's important for me to know what are options and you probably yeah, got much more knowledge about but that, that, than that I do. no but that's that's absolutely right scott is that you do need to just keep knocking on people's doors but have a list of all the people that could potentially yeah. fit stock yeah and you just i had a client once i think he had 200 and something knockbacks before he got someone buying and then he yeah. ended up getting investment it's not uncommon. because he got it to a certain level but you need a budget for that that's one area people don't forget to budget for is this whole Trying different avenues of marketing to one one really strikes. Yeah, yeah. cool. That's great. Any other things you'd like to say about what not to do? Because we really need to wind up a little oh, yes. bit. But um, yeah, is there things that you really just say, look, no, no. It's what what really kills? What, what's what's the best way to throw a hundred grand in, into the wind by starting a business incorrectly? Oh, uh, by going your scattergun effect for yeah. sure. Because yeah. you can, you know, if you think of their last election campaign where Trump got in, you know, they were spending a million dollars a day. You know, getting people. Not everyone has that level of money so you can waste a lot of money by doing that scattergun so be really targeted be really specific in your messaging and test and measure everything yeah right so what are you learning about the behaviors of your audience yeah if it if it's working or not working you're still learning Mm. that's my motto you're either winning or learning yeah so you know (laughs) really get that into everything you know what what to have when you go and do a pitch to you know your high-end boat guys yep. you know what what's their feedback and mm. then how do you how do you solve that problem yeah yeah no, that's great you know as i said there's a wealth of knowledge mm. in this little <laughs> right over right. here and and we've only got so much time in the day so look we've got 26 minutes in i think we should call it um i'm sure if anyone wants any more information there is just so much to learn from belinda um look on one of the websites um brio group is probably the biggest brio group um, and Brandonian are the two sort of most prominent brands out there. And uh, there's just even my quick quick view of those two sites earlier, I got overwhelmed with what questions to ask Belinda. So go along. She's very approachable, a wealth of knowledge, and uh, I'm sure you get some really good feedback from her. You've been listening to Off to Market with Scott Farley and Hamish Chadwick.